Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, welcome to the Lifestyle Business Podcast, where we believe starting a profitable business is the ideal way to create more freedom and opportunity for you, your family, and those around you. Today, I'm joined as, is per the usual, my captain, my co-host, a man whose daily driver has a roll cage. In case I roll. (laughs) If you stick around to the end of the episode, I'm going to share with you a way that you can improve your productivity on your computer and save you tons and tons of headaches. This has been really cool. I'm going to share with you some top mistakes that smart people make. And since I know that you're smart because you're listening to this podcast, let's talk about the news really quick. We've got a couple exciting things going on. We're leaving for Florida in only a matter of a few hours. We'll be lucky if we get a couple hours of sleep tonight, but definitely wanted to get a podcast out this week and talk about some hard goods. We've got a lot of credible experiences in hard goods. You know, I always made the joke like, you should do an information product, you know, forget about hard goods. But a lot of my information product buddies, they're starting to want to do hard goods now. And actually, I can see the reasons why. And we're going to talk about some of those today in the episode. The Tropical MBA has received 48 applications. Yeah, buddy, we sat down for hours the other night and took a look at these things. They are all awesome. Really, really high quality applicants. Yeah, we've been on the phone all day long. I'm blown away by the response. I'm so humbled by it. It is just so cool. I'm really excited because I'm going back to Asia. When I came back to the United States, I assumed that it would take us longer to sort of tool up our operation and figure out what me and you were going to be doing. But then I was kind of sitting here thinking, all right, everything's back in running order. We've figured out how we're going to run this business. I feel really serious, not only about my passion for living abroad and being an expat, but also for the business opportunities. We're absolutely finalizing a corporation in Manila next month. I'm so excited about that and the story of how that came together. We'll tell more about that after it gets done. And I also believe the next three-year time frame, the majority of our organization will exist offshore. Yeah, most of our growth is going to happen on other continents besides this one. And I can't wait to be the shepherd and the spearhead of that investment. And I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, it's right in line with my passion, being in Asia, working on the web. I can't wait to get back to Asia. It's in my blood now. And a lot of listeners and blog readers have commented on that. They said, I knew, Dan, you wouldn't last. And well, they're absolutely right. I won't last. Hopefully, I'll have a lot more travel topics to talk about here on the podcast. And we'll have some more exotic locale episodes. One final thing is that I used to do this mass Twitter following thing, just exploring a lot of my internet marketer buddies. They say, you know, you got to do this auto follow. Well, I ended up getting so passionate about Twitter that I just wanted to do it right. And I had all these lists of people that I was following, but I wasn't really following. And it just felt inauthentic to me. And I just didn't like it. And so what I ended up doing one weekend is just unfollowing everybody manually. I'm sure there's some automated way to do this, but I figured it was better than being on Reddit. So I just unfollowed everybody. And I got myself on a couple of jerks to unfollow lists as a result. But I'm really happy now that I'm sort of at square one with Twitter. I'm just following the people that I really want to hear their message. And I'd encourage anybody that's listening to this show that still hasn't made the jump to Twitter to go give it a try. Go ahead on Twitter and start off following 50 people that you think are fascinating, that you've read their books, or you've listened to their speeches, or you laugh at their jokes, or whatever it is. And substitute that as your morning newspaper instead. I think you're going to have a lot of fun. I really enjoy Twitter. Yeah, it's really cool to have inspirational people in your feed and be able to see what they're reading. Two quick shouts before we move on to the meat and potatoes. Jay from Costa Rica says this podcast delivers 
on the nitty-gritty details. Yeah, buddy, you're going to get some more nitty-gritty details today about manufacturing in Asia. Glenn Dixon says we are a fast-paced, witty, full of details, tips and tricks. Be prepared to take notes. I like Glenn Dixon. I was over on Location 180 the other day, and he was hosting over there, and he called me a young punk. I haven't been called a young punk for several years, and I like it. Glenn Dixon made our day on more than one occasion with his kind words on the blogosphere about this podcast. Thanks, Glenn Dixon. Best of luck to you in your crazy adventures. We'll link you up to his site about his trip vagabonding across America. Interesting stuff. We got a couple questions. We got Rasmus on the phone called in, and let's hear what he's got to say. Hey, guys. Rasmus here from my4hours.com. Let me just start out by saying that I think you got an awesome podcast. It's the perfect blend between business tips and pure entertainment. I'm also convinced that both of you guys look great in Speedos. I have a question for you about how I would go about marketing free stuff. The case is that I've just finished an ebook on how to create membership sites that I'm giving away for free. Besides the ebook, I also have two WordPress plugins that I'm giving away that can help you build this membership website. And since I'm giving it away for free, I don't have a big marketing budget for promoting this stuff. And most people in the internet marketing industry really only want to help spread the word if I have a back-end product and, well, let's face it, they get a commission which I don't. So do you have any tips on how I could uh, promote this free ebook and, and WordPress plugins on a budget? And then of course, uh, a shameless plug. If any of your listeners are interested in this uh, ebook and plugins, they can be downloaded from my4hours.com slash ebook. Four hours is spelled with the number four. Thanks again for an awesome podcast. All right, Rasmus. Well, good job. You got thousands of listeners now hearing your marketing message. That's right. You can call the Lifestyle Business Podcast and pimp your product. That's cool. We just might pull you apart. In this case, Rasmus is the real deal. Part of it is he invited us to come hang out at his abode in Thailand, which I totally dig. We didn't get to take him up on that offer because we had to do this company transaction. Maybe this year. But David did take him up on that offer. David and Rasmus know each other and David's like, this guy's totally legit. I haven't used this WordPress plugin, but anybody who's thinking about implementing a membership site, go check it out. It's free. It couldn't hurt, right? So Rasmus, best of luck with your plugin. Fantastic joke, by the way. Rasmus gets the marketing message because he's contributing to what we're doing. We look cool because people care and they're calling. And he tells a joke, which is funny. Of course we look good in speed. Right. I mean, obvious. And he contributes to what we're doing, which makes us feel fine to help Rasmus do what he's doing, which is to build a little list, give some real incredible value. Rasmus is a legit four-hour work weeker, making a great living for himself, uh, doing software development, and doing a lot more stuff overseas now. It does make me feel more confident about wearing my Speedo. Rasmus, I'm not really sure you even need any advice on how to market this thing. It sounds like you know exactly what you're doing, brother. Keep up the good work, and I'm going to hit you up on that offer sometime in the very, very near future. We've got a listener question from Greg. Do you have any rules of thumb that you follow when selecting a domain name, in particular domains that infringe on patents. How do you do this? Greg gave us an example of, could you get a domain that's laptops for dummies? Because, you know, there's all these books out there that, are, you know, there's a trademark on something for dummies. You have to be careful. I'm not sure exactly what most of the rules are, but you can't use people's trademark in things like AdWords or on your site. You can't say Coca-Cola without giving them due credit, which is a registered trademark. So go to USPTO.gov, do your search in, and don't get anywhere close. That's my strategy. And I just stay as far away from this stuff as possible. We were just talking to a guy on the phone today that got a lawsuit. His whole business that he built a year was ruined because of this. Pat Flynn is another very notable example using in the lead and lead was a registered trademark. I just don't even touch it with a 10 foot stick. Just go with something that you can own 100% and you don't have to worry about. Thanks for the question, Greg, and good luck with all that. The Boulevard of Broken Dreams in your GoDaddy account. Today, we're going to talk about how to manufacture hard goods in Asia and why that might be a good opportunity for your business as a Western marketer. First off, I want to give you the quick once over on why hard goods are a good opportunity. A lot of people wonder what we do. I'll essentially put it like this. 
we are essentially not very different from the information marketers. What we do is we find niches that we think we can win in that are underserved, that have not a lot of SEO competition, like we would use Market Samurai to look at that kind of stuff. Ian's a designer, for example, so we might go after an industry where we find crappy designs, where we feel like we've got a skill set that's higher than what's existent in the industry. Another thing we might do is we would go after something that we're particularly passionate about, or we have insider information about. In other words, we use all the same criteria that a niche information marketer would use, right? The only difference is that we're supplying a hard good in a lot of these cases. Now, there's an advantage to doing hard goods, and that is a lot of very profitable hard goods. The people that are marketing them aren't savvy to these new marketing techniques, particularly SEO, but it could be something like video marketing on YouTube. It could be something like blog marketing. Ourselves, we've been victim to that, whereas, like we said, we went and built a cat furniture company, and we were stupid. We should have went and built a cat furniture audience, and that would have been much more profitable had we focused on that. Hard goods is a good opportunity, in short, because you don't have as much competition in a lot of cases. We talk about two things in this episode. Number one, the broad strokes of how you can get started doing this. Be sitting in your home with a laptop and get started sourcing hard goods in China. And the second thing we're going to talk about is some of the products that we failed at. Amongst polling our readers and listeners, I found that the number one thing they like to hear about is us being idiots, which is incredible. Let's just get started, Ian. You are an Alibaba expert. Alibaba.com is worth a crap ton of money. It is probably the best place in the world to find products sourced in China. And the best part is, is you don't have to go to China. Can you walk us through how you might go from a product idea inception to utilize Alibaba to ultimately get that thing sold to your client? How does this whole process work? It's a fairly long road. We use a sourcing agent in China. We don't use Alibaba as much as somebody who might not have a sourcing agent would. Essentially, the way Alibaba works is it's a huge resource for different manufacturers of every kind of product you can imagine. You can go on there and you can search for different products and you can get direct links to the manufacturer. You can chat with the manufacturer. Alibaba has its own chat client. You can call them. You can email them. Direct access to the manufacturers. You want to do a video marketing e-commerce store on wine racks. Right. You love wine. You think you can make really rad videos. And the people really want to look at modern, plasticky looking, whatever it is. You know, you choose a niche. You want to go after it with video. Boom, you're on Alibaba. You're typing in wine racks. What's the next step? figure out who's a trade agent and who's actually a manufacturer. And a lot of times you can just pop them an email and they'll say, oh, we rep 10 different factories. I'm a trade agent. You want to stay away from those guys because they're a middleman. You want to go directly to the factory if you can. After you find the maybe 10 to 20 different factories that are making the wine racks, it's time to talk to them about how you might make your wine rack. So maybe you do or don't have a design done. That's something that a lot of times you can leverage the factory to help you do. If that's the case, then you're going to have to figure out some kind of angle to work with them. Some, some reason why they might want to design your wine rack for you. If you want to get the factory to do a custom design for you, the best thing to do is to show up. How do you decide out of those 20 factories which two to show up to? Does it even matter? It does matter. You can tell a lot in the way that people correspond with you in email. So I think you should be upfront and you should say, hey, I'm planning to bring in 100, 200, a container of these wine racks. It's best if you can tell them what your intentions are. If you say, hey, I've got this like really great wine rack and they don't respond to you, then chances are they're not into product development. Right. My suggestion over all is to shy away from product development unless you really know what you're doing. Find people that seem to supply a good product. They know a lot about it. They're very communicative. And you let them know, are you open to a factory visit? One thing that's interesting about China is their favorite word is yes. So you're going to find a lot of people that say, yes, we can. Whether or not they deliver on that is to be seen, but a lot of people will say yes. It's important to ask them straight up if they'll help you develop this. And if they say yes, then it's definitely worth a visit. Do you mean honestly saying yes? China over promises a lot of times and under delivers 
delivers. We've had this experience many times when factories could promise us the moon and then when they come through with the sample, it's just a disaster. Right. A lot of times though, they do want to help you develop your products because there's money involved in that. For well, them. also then they get to be their products and the Chinese are hyper entrepreneurial. Yeah. Unless you're a SolidWorks or AutoCAD guru, get yourself some addresses and go knock on the factory's door if you have a custom product that you want to design. Another way to do it would be to order the sample and then make the modification in your garage or whatever or send the damn thing back to them. But absolutely do the development process with the supplier so that they understand organically how to produce this thing. The absolute second thing you can do, which is even better, is to go to a trade show because then you're right in the doorstep of China. You're at the trade show in the mega show. If, by the way, you want to go to the mega show this year, we're going to link up to Chris from MyAgNoodles. He's going to put on a special high-class VIP event where he's got experienced people speaking. Looks pretty badass. If you're interested in getting into hard goods, check out Chris's event at the mega show. Basically, you get to walk the floor, get the pricing. They're going to have everything for you. This is how many fit in a 20-foot container. 101, there's 20-foot containers, there's 40-foot containers in general. You can also do smaller than that or air freights if you want. But you'll figure this stuff out pretty quick. I wouldn't be intimidated by all this stuff. It's not worth being intimidated by it. Go to these uh, trade shows and you can actually kick the tires on the stuff. Now, there's also a great possibility that you can meet the sales rep and then go direct to the factory the next week. This is something that's worth looking into. I recommend going to the trade show. You don't need to get so deep into product development before you start selling products. That's why Ian and I always suggest being agile. That's selling a product that's already existent, white labeling a product that they already produce, just putting your own label on the thing. Or maybe you don't need to quite make the jump to China just yet. You just need to sell a domestic distributor's products until you determine what the best selling SKUs are and then follow up with the manufacturer in China once you know what the hot product is. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why you would want to manufacture in the United States first. Right. I mean, what you're going to find in China is a price advantage. It does make a lot of sense to manufacture in the United States if you're trying to find out if a product is feasible before ordering a 40-foot container. In terms of the logistics and stuff, most factories, they know what they're doing. I mean, they ship containers all the time, so they're going to have a preferred freight forwarder. All you really need to determine on your side is whether you're going to go with a managed warehouse solution or whether you're going to ship it to your garage or whether you're going to just ship it to a storage unit down the place. So here's the deal. At the end of the day, when you're talking about small enterprises, a lot of times, a lot of our listeners are service providers. A lot of them are web-based internet entrepreneurs. The bottom line is when you look at this type of business, you're going to have your pencil out, you're going to have your pencil sharpener, you're going to have your calculator. And that's something that a lot of people in the internet business, they don't use a calculator too much. That is absolutely a critical part of these inventory businesses, these hard good businesses. It's going to be a little bit of capital intensive and you're going to have to dot your I's and cross your T's and you're really going to have to be on top of it. Our first investment in China, our first container of goods set us back about 35K on just the production front and just the production and shipping. We had to put our asses on the line for this stuff. We had to go out there and say, we're going to make that money back. A lot of people see hard goods and they think, well, I got to have a warehouse. I got to have all this inventory. I got to be tied to this building. There are ways to do it. So you don't have to have the building. You don't have to have the inventory necessarily yourself. You can hire a third party logistics warehouse to fulfill orders for you if you'd like. People might in general blow it out of proportion because if you're running a successful business, you're pretty tied to it anyway. Unless you want to have a blog that just makes a couple grand a month. But if you really want to build something where you've got a team and you've got tons of fixed costs. You've got a team, they're fixed costs. You're tied to that productivity. It doesn't matter if you wake up on a beach in Thailand or you wake up in your warehouse in California, you're still responsible for this stuff. If you see a market opportunity and there's a chance to make some big profits there, owning a big asset is what gets you the freedom. It's not necessarily the structure of your business. I basically met a lot of guys that they're all about process and this type of business and stuff, but they're just as tied to their business as we are. You're flying to Florida tomorrow, you're going to Bali all the time. How tied to your 
warehouse do you feel? I've been to the warehouse probably once in the last six months. There you go. That's the verdict on this stuff. The bottom line is that it's not necessarily your business structure that frees you from your business. It's your attitude about your business and your role in it. And it's also the amount of money that you're making. I mean, once you make enough money that you feel like you're satisfied with that, ooh, yeah, baby, you're out the back door. But I want to talk a little bit about some products that we've tried to source in China and that we've failed at because I think people can get a little bit of insights into like how we're thinking. The particular types of products that we tried to do. And let me just give you a little bit of time frame here. This is pretty much in the last two years, two to two and a half years. We failed at quite a bit the last two and a half years. We're jamming. The first thing we really wanted to do, you know those ugly cat condos with the carpet on them that cats can scratch and stuff. We thought these things are like 200 bucks at Petco. Not only that, we looked into the distribution channels and how it works. And most of these carpeted cat condos are made in the USA and they're made regionally and they're sent out to stores regionally. They're sent out assembled. So it's like a really inefficient way to sell and send and distribute uh, products. Right. So we go out and we're like, well, we can do the freaking cat condos in China for like 20 bucks and we're going to blow everybody away. Well, it turns out there's something that we didn't know about the manufacturing of carpet, which is that American grade carpet is extremely expensive to produce for a wide variety of reasons. We tried like, oh, we could supply the carpet from Australia and do all this stuff. The bottom line is that we couldn't improve on the system that was already entrenched and in place. Fail number one. Fail number one, carpeted cat furniture. Wah, wah, wah. The next thing we failed on was the motorcycle fairings. We talked about that in an earlier episode of the podcast. If you want to hear the whole story of that, we'll link to that episode. Ian basically thought we could upend the entire distribution of aftermarket auto fairings in the United States. And? And we kind of failed at that too. We kind of failed at that one too. We also thought that we could be a preferred supplier of carbon fiber Ducati replacement parts in the United States. We could find the manufacturer of these types of carbon fiber motorcycle parts and we thought we had an interesting brand and an approach to market them. Why couldn't we do it? We visited the factory. We found the best manufacturers for carbon fiber in China. And the reason it didn't end up working out is because Ducati was unwilling to work with us. They had pretty strict licensing agreements and they weren't even willing to review our samples. <laughs> One other thing I try to do earlier on in my career, Ian, is those retail gondolas that are in like every store in all of America. I literally walked around China for a week because I believe that if I could just get like one cent better price on this stuff, I could add the best distribution plan that I could like make millions and millions of dollars. I think I helped screw that up for you, didn't I? I totally think you helped screw that up for me. Why did I fail at that? As an inexperienced distributor and marketer myself, I started focusing on bigger industries without enough disruptive force behind my thoughts and plans. And ultimately I failed. The gondola industry, it turns out, the entrenched suppliers make obviously, there are $500 million companies. It's incredible, huge industry. And they've got incredible distribution systems and robots making their stuff. Anything else we failed at? Yeah, we failed at a retail display fixture system that would be sort of interchangeable. And in fact, this is a long story worth telling in a whole podcast. I think this is one of my bigger failures. You were incredible. Anyway, like our buddy Steve Blank says, the job of a startup founder is to fail. And we certainly, I think, have done an excellent job of that. If you've got any specific questions about how you can start getting manufacturing hard goods in China or otherwise, feel free to shoot us an email and we'll help to answer your questions on this podcast. Let's move on to the quick tips, tricks, and or funny joke section. Ian, I recently installed a very exciting application on my computer. The name of the program is called LastPass. It's actually a quick tip from uh, our good friend and roommate, Wally. Thanks, Wally. Basically, the idea is this. 
you've got all these passwords and can never remember what goes where. My strategy was always just to never clear my browser cache, but that became a problem too after it got too big. I, I think it hurt my browser performance. I didn't delete it for like six months. So finally I get this LastPass program and it automatically imports all your passwords secure and all you need to do is sign into LastPass and then you can get into all your applications. Where does it grab your passwords for? It does in two different ways. When you first sign up for the service, it automatically imports them. And I'm not sure where from, maybe your browser cache. And then whenever you go to a new site, like today, I just went to PayPal and you quickly say, do you want to save it into LastPass? And it's actually not annoying because you know that like when you save it in there, it's going to be for good. And when you do that, it brings up a quick little option screen that you say, do you want this to be an autofill? Uh, do you want to save it forever? Blah, blah, blah. Fill that stuff out. Boom. LastPass. It makes me much more productive. I absolutely recommend. We'll check it out. What are some stupid things that smart people do? That's right. I'm going to link to this article that Joel Runyon shared on Twitter. I really enjoy it. It relates to a lot of the things that we've talked about on this podcast. What are some stupid things smart people do? This is actually one of the most intelligent things I've read on the internet in a long, long time. And if you feel like you're a smart person, I'd recommend that you go to the blog, click on this little Quora link and check it out. And also check out Quora.com. It's one of the hottest startups in the world right now. Everyone in Silicon Valley is buzzing about it. Founded by Facebook alums. It's a very interesting question and answer site. And I think that you'll enjoy it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. We did as always. we got to go get on a plane, Ian. Thanks for joining us. Go make a cold call. Go have a good time. And we'll see you next week. Booyah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list. Lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there. Get yourself signed up. And we'll keep you up to date on everything.